Welcome again to Queer Invasion Radio. I am Susie Sheeler, one of your many hosts. <laughs> we also are here with Jessica Suka and Stephanie Crane. And our guest today is Lisa Sheps, founder and co-artistic director of the Ground Floor Theater. Hi, everybody. Hey, Hello. welcome, Lisa. Thanks Hi, for Lisa. coming in. Oh, I am thrilled to be here. It's awesome. So I first met you when we were at um, at a at that restaurant when you were looking for a uh, executive director for Tent. That's true. I was I, trying to slough the job off on someone. Yeah, um, and we we're what, at Texas. What's Rock Tent? House. What is Tent? So in I, case people don't know, Tent is Transgender Education Network of Texas, of which I am one of the founders. Uh, and uh, it is currently um, the only statewide LGBTQ organization run by trans people and for trans people. Fantastic. And the board is currently more than uh, a majority um, BIPOC. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah. Very nice. So important so I, these days. And I'm uh, Emmett Schelling, who's running uh, the organization as executive director right now, is doing an awesome job. Jessica Sukup is doing an amazing job. I was just talking about her today and saying what a great job she's doing and how thrilled I am is how active she's become. Well, thank you. Thank you. Why were you talking about me? I always talk about you, Jessica. Oh, well, thank you. Um, anyway, so I, I first met you there and I, by the way, I walked out of that convinced that you hated me, which I, which I thought was funny. But then uh, I met you again, or I saw you again at... Um, at uh, that event where Mara Keisling was. And uh, I was all fangirling about my, Mara Keisling and she, she started talking to me and uh, for- just Oh, Mara Keisling. So, Keisling. Yes. Um, I, I think I've only read it. <laughs> yeah, Mara, anyway. Mara Keisling. Mara Keisling. was at uh, Joe Ivester's house who just published yes. a, a book. Uh, yes. And was that the second time I saw you? Um, that was a long close. time after that. There, there was a big different, big separate in time. I think we but, probably saw each other at, uh, uh, the thing I can never remember the name of the QVC social. Oh, could be. Could it's be. not QVC. It's Q something. TGQ. TGQ. It could be. Q I'm not sure. I don't remember. The CBS. Like, like we need at the C of it. <laughs> H-E-B. The H-E-B social, remember that? <laughs> anyway, so I was trying, I couldn't get any words out as Mara was trying to talk to me and uh, you, you bailed me out and, uh, and, and started filling me in. And that's, I think, when I learned that you were on the founding board for the National Center for Transgender Equality. Uh, I was, I'm a founding board member of NCTE. Uh, Mara is a very, very dear friend of mine. We spent a long time together and uh, she was quite helpful for me when I first was transitioning. I owned my own company in Chicago. It was a very successful company uh, that I created and started and I took on partners. When I told them I was going to transition, they basically kicked me out. I had called Mara because she was in a similar industry with me at the time and she did not lose her business when she transitioned. So I called her and I said, hey, you don't know me from anybody really. Um, wondering if you have any advice for me. And she basically just stopped her entire world to try to guide me through this very difficult time in my life when in, 
in the final result was I, I lost my business. Um, so, but Mar was, was great. And we became uh, really good friends after that. That's, She's a good egg. Yeah, she is. That's it. That was, that's incredible. When was that? Uh, that would have been in right around to 1999, 2000. Um, I lost, oh, it, I can tell you exactly when. It was uh, November of 2000 because uh, that it was right after the election. Uh, and um, that's when I lost my business. And, uh, and I went, on the day I lost my business, I went full time because I was living female, working male. Uh, and then the day I lost my business, I just went full time. Uh, so it was a very uh, interesting time. Uh, yeah. Well, that was Mara back in the day. was coming into Chicago, which is where I lived at the time, for the IFGE convention. IFGE is the International Foundation of Gender Education, which I don't believe exists anymore, but it was a very big organization at the time. Uh, they had a conference every year. I'm a b former board member of that organization as well. Uh, but I asked her if I could take her out to dinner to thank her for helping me. And we went to Club Lucky in Chicago, my favorite restaurant, and we just had a great time. And we were just forever friends after that. And, um, and I, I get much of, uh, we, we basically share jokes. What does that mean? That means, well, if you've ever heard Mara speak, she's constantly making jokes. If you've ever heard me speak, I'm constantly making jokes and uh, we steal each other's jokes. Nice. That's, that's like awesome. the first thing that I think as a comedy writer you learn is that's exactly what you do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so you were you were on Broadway, is that right? Tell me I about was. Broadway, Lisa. I have the individual distinction of having playing having played the camel's ass on Broadway. Oh my god. Uh, but I did a show in 1981 called Oh Brother, uh, written and directed by a man named Donald Driver, who was, uh, he became a really good friend of mine. Um, oh Brother was the, was the comedy of errors, Shakespeare's comedy of errors, set in modern day Iran. And if you remember Iran in 1981, that was in the middle of the hostage crisis. Um, so uh, we opened on a Tuesday and we closed on Wednesday. Oh, sounds it good. Was, oh, but Broadway, opening on Broadway is like Christmas. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before uh, and since, because I haven't been back on Broadway. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. And uh, I will give you one quick story. So this was back in the days before the internet. And what happened when you knew whether, our show was dependent upon good reviews wouldn't survive without it. And the way you knew whether your show was a flop before the reviews officially came out, somebody would have gotten a copy of the review somehow. Uh, and in the opening night party, at some point, it would go from an open bar to a cash bar. And that's how you knew. And that is exactly what happened with Oh Brother. Oh um, no. I went up to get a drink and they said, $4. And I went, what? <laughs> No. <laughs> so we got to the theater the next day. Wednesday's a matinee day, so there were supposed to be two shows. Uh, we got to the theater, and the closing notice was up. So we went from this huge high to this terrible low. Uh, they said we were going to play out the week and then close. We ended up closing. We went to lunch between shows. We came back, and they said, nope, tonight's the last, the last night. But an incredible cast with people. I mean, if you're a theater person, you know almost all the leads in the show. 
Um, but in terms of people that you would know now, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio was in it. Nice. Joe Morton, wow. uh, who Nicole Shiro, my co-host on my radio show, likes to call Papa Pope. Uh, he was in it. It was just an um, Judy uh, K, uh, who's just an amazing, amazing cast. And it was a really fun show, but um, critics didn't think so. Mm-hmm. What do but they it's... know? They panned, <laughs> they panned Sharknado, okay? They, they I'm not do. here for that. I mean, you got to open <laughs> and close on Broadway. And oh I've my... never even been to Broadway. So that's like... <laughs> well, that is your... Uh, that's your homework. Get uh, once we open again, go see a Broadway show. Uh, that you're is- correct. You're correct. I want to so badly. I want to so badly. Well, I you have an opportunity York. right now. Uh, Disney Plus is playing a little show. I think it's called Hamilton. I I, that, that I've seen. That. Yes, that I've I seen. I have. I have all all great respect for the theater. Oh my god, yeah. I love it a lot. Just I've never had the privilege of getting to go to Broadway. So it's, it's a trip. <laughs> It's a trip to do that. I mean, you the, it, it, you talk about a reason to get dressed up. It's oh, it's like you feel like you, and then everyone's got their jackets and their you know. I would be like, oh, actually, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Susie, it's so much anymore. So great. Uh, I went at Christmas. I guess it was a couple <laughs> of Christmases ago. So maybe people, you know, it's tourists and. But it's interesting. World. I was just watching Broadway HD two days ago, and I saw they had a, a showing of the uh, 1981 uh, version of Pippin with Ben Vereen uh-huh. and they did some shots out in the audience and everybody was dressed to the nines. And I went, Oh, I remember those days. I remember that. It, but also he, he, uh, he said at some point, cause they, they break the fourth wall at, a few times and he looks at the audience and he says, well, you, you want to get what you paid for after all, some of you are paying almost $25 a ticket. <laughs> oh my God. Oh no. Wow. Oh my that's... God. <laughs> well, that's oh, well, something. Well, Right around that time, uh, Liza Minnelli had a show called The Act, and she took a lot of flack because she was charging an outrageous amount. I think she was charging uh, either $20 or $25 a ticket, and she, they, she took a lot of flack from the industry for doing that. But she I got like the to have money. Those days. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? No kidding. Well, so is that what uh, spurred you to um, start Ground Floor Theater, or uh, how how did that happen? And well, it is part of. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, It was a. It's a long. uh, I'll try to not make it a long story. But when I, you know, theater's been my first love. The company I had in Chicago is what we call industrial theater. Uh, We did shows, and I I'll suggest to your audience if they want to learn more about industrial theater, go to Netflix and watch uh, Bathtubs Over Broadway. You get an idea of what the industry, what that I made my living in for years. Um, When I lost the business. I came to Austin and I just, my love is theater, uh, what we call legitimate theater. Uh, so I opened a theater almost as soon as I moved here called Play Theater Group on 12th and Cedar. Um, I bought a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall and turned it into a theater. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, oh, many things I love about that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they, were actually, they were actually very nice to work with. So uh, <laughs> they're very nice people. But that theater didn't last very long, less than two years before I had to sell the building. Um, and then uh, on my radio show, uh, probably about six or seven years ago, uh, Frontera Fest came on and I was talking to Ken Webster of Hyde Park Theater and Christy Moore of Scriptworks about the lack of theater space. And I said, you know what? Uh, 
I don't know. Do we have rules about uh, cussing on this show? Not at all. Okay. No. Fuck it, I said. I'm going <laughs> to, I emptied out my retirement account and oh my I said, I'm opening up a theater. Uh, and this time I'm going to make it a theater that's mission driven. Uh, and I'm going to really reach out. And um, I was kind of a snobby New Yorker when I opened the first theater. So uh, I'm going to reach out and really embrace the community better than I did before. And, and I did. And that's sort of the genesis of Ground Floor Theater. And um, one of the interesting things was the the first theater had very low ceilings and you don't want low ceilings in theater. You don't want your lighting to be like in the eyes. You want high ceilings. So you have a lot of uh, opportunities to do different things. So I was, I was focused on high ceilings and I found this place that we now have and it has 25 foot ceilings. And I, I said, wow. yeah, I sign on the dotted line. I, um, I met with Ken and Christy in, I'm going to say February of 2014 and in March of 2014 I signed the lease wow. on this place wow. and uh wow. well, you're clapping but you <laughs> I, I I tend to to do first and plan later uh -oh. um, yeah I we didn't know anything about that here yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> but what I discovered with the with the big ceiling height is, oh, I need to build a grid, which is the <laughs> layer of things that, that, that you can hang lights on, at a, lights at a on. decent height. And then I need to get up there. And so I had to buy a, um, a lift. That so be, yeah. uh, it was a very expensive decision, but it's, I'm, I'm happy for it now. Awesome. You say it's mission driven. What does that mean? I uh, first play I, play I saw there was Transom just okay. recently, just last... Um, what last uh, uh, what August? Uh, I'm looking at the the, the program. Uh, it's yes, August. August 15th through 31st. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, our mission is to produce works by and for underrepresented communities. Uh, we also offer our space uh, to like-minded organizations that uh, fit within our mission, and we subsidize more than 50% of their rental to wow. come in and perform in the space. Um, so everything that we do, everything we put on has got to be mission driven as opposed to my first theater was like, oh, Lisa, what show do you want to do? Oh, I want to do Plaza Suite. Okay, let's just do it. Now we are mission driven. And in our current environment with Black Lives Matter, uh, with the, the, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the, the list of demands from, oh, and I forgot the name of the organization but it's a list of demands from uh, black theater artists to, to theater owners saying what, and it's a 29 page list of demands. It's huge. Uh, wow. We are, and you know, my partner, uh, Patty and I, we're a couple of white women that, that run this, uh, but everything we do is, uh, is centered around that mission. So we're, we're on our way already to hitting that, um, awesome. those demands. But I'd like to also add that we are also trying to, although it's not codified in writing, we truly work to represent the uh, underrepresented of the underrepresented. Uh, and in this town, that means uh, the disability community, the black community. Um, we stay away from uh, women because there's a lot of companies doing work that revolve around women. Latinx, there's several companies doing work around Latinx. Um, so we're really trying to, to, to focus in on, on areas that really don't see the light of day very often.
So that's what I mean by mission driven. So the transom play was all trans written and trans acted and the whole thing. And then the next play was, um, was uh, deaf inclusive. Yeah. So, well, let me talk about transom. So transom, uh, I have wanted since I opened the theater was to devise a piece of work by and for the trans community. Uh, I tried several times and then, uh, this last time I tried again and I got a group of people together that were very dedicated. Um, and what I wanted, I came into a room. Do y'all know what a devised piece is? No. I don't think so. No. So uh, back in the day, chorus line is a devised piece. We called it workshopping back then. Okay. Now it's basically you get a group of people in a room and you create work from nothing. So uh, I had never done that before. But what was important to me, yes. How is it different from improv? I'm curious. Like, uh, because it's it not improv. It is written. Uh, every oh. show is exactly the same. Oh, but okay. Because I, I was like, so you... But pre- in, in the creation of it, we used improv quite a bit. Okay. Okay, uh, cool. So in our case, and, there's, and what I learned since I had never done it before, I went to the Rude Mechs and asked them because they, that's all they do is devised work. I said, how do you do this? And what I learned was there's no real, there's no roadmap. What we did was we came in, um, well, I'll tell you this. I had no preconceived notions. What I didn't want was a sad piece about how terrible it is to be trans. I wanted to have some joy in this piece. Excellent. Uh, I also didn't want to do something like the vagina monologues, which is a series of, of monologues or a series you know, of things. Is that, divide, I, is that the same type of, is it? That's like one, the vagina monologues, everyone's on a stool and they highlight whoever is speaking. Well, they do it different ways. It's a series of monologues. It's not a narrative piece. There's no story arc to it. I wanted a story arc. Those are the two things I said walking in. Um, And we started just playing around and improvising and coming up with things. Uh, And uh, we videotaped it. uh, And a couple of us went back and and I wasn't one of them, wrote a, a sort of an outline and then we brought in uh, some more people. We had auditions, brought in some more people, and then we brought in two people that are playwrights. And their, their job was to take our work, our improv, and make the piece have an, a normal arc. And we wanted to do a, a real political piece. We had a very big political bend to it. Um, but they, they 86 that almost immediately. Um, but uh, it was Playwright's an amazing- the playwrights 86 that? Well, the, in, when they put it together as an arc, it didn't make sense to do it. So we, oh, kept, we kept the same thing. And what it was was a found family of trans and non-binary people living in the same home together uh, that was sort of led by a matriarch uh, and her wife, uh, who was more on the, um, the red side of the equation between red and blue. Uh, so uh, there was conflict and death and joy and fun. We we had a uh, my favorite part was we had a dishwasher explode and suds went everywhere. Um, it was good, but it's uh, it was as Jessica said entirely run by trans and non-binary people. The entire the entire production team uh, was mostly trans or non-binary. We had one person that identified as queer uh, and not. They were cisgender, um, but everybody else, everybody else was trans or non-binary. And it was just an amazing thing. And one of the things that I, 
I took about this, uh, and I need to back up and tell the story. We're about to do a, a play next year uh, called Dinner uh, about, and uh, it's actually guess who's coming to dinner with an African-American family and an African family, written by Lisa B. Thompson. Oh, wow. Uh, and when I first read it, I said uh, to my director, who was going to direct it, why, why should I like this? It was, it's just like normal life. He said, right, Lisa, black people don't see that on stage ever. Yeah. And I went, got it. Same thing here. This was basically normal life uh, that people that identify as trans non-binary could sit in the audience and see themselves on stage, not as uh, a symbol, not as a clown, not as a pitiful character, but as a human, fully functioning person in the world. And it was, uh, it was so heartwarming to do that show. That's so great. Yeah, I loved it. That is great. Thank that you, Jessica. Amazing. I did. It was great. Uh, it is available on the YouTubes. Oh, oh my is goodness. it? Okay. That's very cool. So we'll put the link up. How do you yeah. do that? Do you subscribe and, and do you uh, uh, donate people can to go see to, it? Oh, well, you, you don't donate. You can, we will accept donations. <laughs> we need donations. But right now, it's, it's right up there on YouTube. It's free to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can find things at our uh, YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. uh, so just go to YouTube and, and search for Ground Floor Theater. And we have lots of videos up there. Awesome. Very cool. So and if I, how, how are y'all doing during the COVID thing with the... <sighs> Uh, COVID is, has more than challenged us. Uh, so we closed our doors. We're very proud of ourselves. We were, we were proactive. We were ahead of the curve every step of the way. We closed our doors a few days before they forced us to close our doors because it was the right thing to do. Um, but we still, we still have this, this uh, venue that we have to pay rent on. Uh, the landlord gave us a little bit of relief at the very first, but that was done after two months. And uh, so we still have to pay uh, rent. We still have to pay our, uh, as long as we can, the salaries that we have, which are very low. We, we do not pay ourselves a living wage, but we pay ourselves something. Sure. Um, and we have to pay for, for upkeep in this, this big venue that's sitting empty. We just made the very difficult decision uh, to close the theater until 2021. Mm -hmm. We had two shows planned. One was a rainfall special on me uh, by Lane Michael Stanley about a group of people experiencing homelessness. Uh, and then we were, our musical was going to be falsettos. Uh, we postponed rain till February of 2021 and we've canceled falsettos. So, mm -hmm. It's really, really hard. Thanks to the SBA loans and some of the other grants that we've gotten, I feel confident that we will survive to the end of the year. But if it goes past that, I'm not so sure. So you're, you're, you're right. I assume you have some sort of, you have a donation, you're collecting donations. For Absolutely. That. We will take donations uh, at groundfloortheater.org. Uh, there is a, a button that's specific about, you know, help for the relief of COVID-19. The bottom line is it all goes into the same bank account. So any donation button you want to push will happily take your money. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I kind of skipped over that, um, that deaf inclusive play. Yeah, I really want to hear about, about that. I didn't get to see that. Uh, unfortunately, you can't see that because that, because of rights reasons, that's not on, we weren't able to to show that on video. Um, mm -hmm. But next to normal, the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning play 
dealing with mental health uh, issues, we decided to team up with Deaf Austin Theater and make it fully deaf inclusive. And we, I had a co-director, Brian Cheslick on that one, uh, who is the artistic director of Deaf Austin Theater. And we, the cast is uh, a cast of six. We double cast five of them so that, that there would be two people playing each role. Uh, and the third character, the son, uh, I don't want to spoil what his deal is, but he did what we call, um, oh my God, I just lost the name of it. But anyway, he signed and spoke and sung at the same time. Um, what we did is we made three of the characters deaf uh, and three of the characters were hearing. And we, the actors didn't, so typically when you have a show that has a uh, ASL person performing in ASL and a person performing in English, one is the shadow. So the character is the hearing person. And then there's, a, there's an ASL shadow that's not really, that's kind of acting, but the, the character is really the, the person that speaks. We decided, I didn't want to do that. So they shared the role. And what I said was that the, the deaf characters, the deaf actor was 75% versus 25%. Uh, and that, that opened so many things up uh, to, um, to lots of opportunities. They would sometimes talk to each other when, when it was right. Uh, and the show is very powerful into itself, but you add this issue into it, uh, you add the ASL into it, it was uh, doubly. We spent a lot of time making sure that if a deaf person comes to watch the show, that they will be able to 100% understand the show. Um, there's a very famous company in LA called Deaf West, and they were on Broadway just recently with Spring Awakening. Um, and what I was told much later after we started that, I mean, it was award-winning. It was an amazing piece, but deaf people didn't understand every single thing. So we made that a goal of ours. And indeed, uh, when we polled deaf audience members afterwards, they did, they got it 100%. So it was an amazing experience, the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, wow. And it's really cool. uh, a neat story. Yeah, and what I want to tell people that, that don't be afraid of working with groups that cause you to have to work a little harder. <laughs> that work will be paid to you double, triple, quadruple in what you get out of it. Uh, and it's really, really important that we make sure that these communities are shown in a, a wonderful, respectful and I'm going to use air quotes, normal life as you can. So, um, so I, I, I encourage all artists to work with the disability community, the deaf community, uh, the LGBTQ community, all those communities that you might be a little afraid to work with. Well, we only have a couple minutes left, but you use the word community a number of times. Um, yes. Wouldn't it be awesome if Austin had an LGBTQIA uh, center, a community what? center? <laughs> well, you know, they, they were working on that. Uh, and I forgot the name of the, uh, the, the group. Uh, it's, oh, and currently, it's currently Quell. Quell, yes. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, and they were pulling for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how, um, I don't know how, realistic it's going to be but here's the thing about austin when i moved here and people would people would email me or talk to me and they'd say lisa i'm going to move to austin i'm tra i'm newly transitioned trans person where can i live and i say 
anywhere. You know, Austin is, and, and there's a reason why Austin doesn't have a gayborhood is because we've never really needed one. See, I take, I'm going to have to take issue with that. All right. You're, <laughs> you're, okay. Why do you say that? I think that we, we would do well as the capital of Texas to have a center and a community uh, hub. It, I think we owe it to the rest of the state. Oh, I'm not saying it's something we shouldn't have, but it's not something we needed. Like the reason why the village is a home for uh, the LGBTQ in New York and the reason why San Francisco and other cities and Dallas has, uh, I think it's called Uptown, has a space. It's because this was a place where folks that were LGBTQ could safely gather. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't feel safe out, outside. Right. Austin didn't need it. I think it's a great thing. So I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, Susie. I think we would, I think it'd be a great thing to have. But the nice reason why we don't to. is we haven't needed it in the past. I, I think, well, I, when I first came out, I came out in Austin and I didn't have anywhere to go. It would have been a, a really helpful thing for me to have had to, a place to go for resources to find out where young lesbians were, where my, my tribe was. Um, and they did have one in, uh, in Dallas. It was very small at the time, but I thought we would have something here. And I was very disappointed. But yeah. We had a women's I, club here where, uh, where Bear is. Or the, yeah. that hasn't, that, I forgot what it was called. It was something like Sidetracks or Sidekicks. Sidekicks, um, I think it was. Yeah, Kicks, and it was a, a women's bar that closed in probably 2003, 2004. Uh, but you're right, uh, especially the lesbian community hasn't had a really good place to gather. Right. Um, and we were... need a space. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, um, and I and again, I think it's it goes back to the to the to the responsibility we have. I mean, people come here to to gather to go to the Capitol on mass, and we should have a place for them to do that. So, I mean, I, and I know you didn't say that, so I didn't mean to say I'm going to push back. I, I think, I just say that I think we, I, I would have liked to had it, you know, 30 years ago. I hear you. I hear you. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, and maybe we'll get it. It's a, it's definitely, we have a really strong queer community here. We do. Uh, we so, do. And, and there is some resourced moneyed queer people here. So there's no reason why it can't happen it's and just about everybody getting together in the same room and agreeing mm -hmm. which is so. difficult to do and has proven oh. always difficult to do Community. it's awful community <laughs> i mean community. when i when when i left Let's chicago <laughs> with unity <laughs> So Chicago has a really strong uh, LGBTQ community yes. and they have a gayborhood. But when I left Chicago in 2000, there was no community. There is now, but there was no community center on Halstead. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't exist. Now there is. There was nothing on in Clark in uh, Andersonville either that no. I recall. There were a lot of lesbians in Andersonville. There were. They can swing a dead cat. <laughs> Whenever anybody says that they lived in Chicago, and I say, where do you live? They said Andersonville. I go, well, you don't uh, look like a lesbian. You don't look like <laughs> Gee, did you drive a Subaru? We all look alike, Lisa. <laughs> did you live in Andersonville? I Actually, I lived in Edgewater, which was right next to Andersonville. Yeah, I know so I just had to walk right on the other side of the train. <laughs> Good time. Uh, I was I was a Wicker Park kid. Oh, okay. That was that was a that's I loved that area. I moved there before it changed. It, it got different. It it did change. Oh, I <laughs> left there after it changed. So. <laughs> oh God. 
Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. I'm so glad you were here. And I hope you come back because there are so many other things that would be fun to talk to you about, uh, especially theater-wise. Yeah, anytime. Anytime. Thank you. It's lovely to see you again. Good to see you, Jessica. I thank you all for it. having me. I really appreciate this. I really love the work you do. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you are doing this. It's important stuff. Thank you. And I love thank your you. work on co-op, I must say. Thank you. What's the name of your podcast, really quick? Uh, The show on co-op is Offstage and on the Air. Uh, Uh It plays Wednesday from 1 to 2, and we do podcast it. It's available on iTunes and most of the places that you get podcasts. Uh, We have a good time. We talk about theater in around the country and in Austin. It's one of the funniest, best, most entertaining shows that co-op offers, honestly. Uh, It really is. Go on. (laughs) Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. You've been listening to Queer Invasion Radio. We're here, we're queer, and we need your support. So find us on Patreon or follow us on social media at QI Radio USA and listen to us wherever you hear podcasts. And don't forget to share our stuff and tell all of your friends. Thanks, Thanks, y'all.